Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Who's excited to be in church? Who's ready to party? Come on. Whether you're online or in person, let's stand up. Let's celebrate. Come on.
Amen. Again, good morning. Good morning. I'm so glad we're together, church. I'm so glad we're together. It's just good to be together. Wherever we are, that's what I love, is that it's not about a space. It's not about a place. It's about a spirit. And the one spirit of God which unites us all, no matter where we are. I love that there's churches all over the world worshiping Jesus right now. We're all just one church. Amen? Amen. So let's lift up that voice. That one voice is one church. Lifting up the one name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. Amen?
let you uh, wash over us this morning, Jesus. As I stand.
circumstances go crazy sometimes, I think we start to question whether God is for us. And I need to just remind you and affirm that truth this morning that God is for you. And if God is for you, like the scripture says, who can be against you? Right? So let's just sing that line just a couple times. Let's sing that. For you are for us. You are not against us. Sing it again. You are for us, you are not against us. Jesus, you are for us, you are not against us. Champion of heaven, champion of heaven, you made a way for all to enter. Yes, yes. Try 
darkness and into your marvelous, uh, marvelous light, God, that you have moved us. Like your word says that, that we are a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. God, we love what your word says. We love all the declarations about who we are in you. So God, we stand as those people. We stand as the redeemed this morning and we say, God, we say hallelujah. We say hallelujah. We say glory to the one and only God who is above all things. Glory to you, God. You know, I've, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I remember hearing somebody who was a Hebrew scholar talk about the word hallelujah one time. And he said, if you understand the weight of it in Hebrew, he says, it, it's, it's a full sentence in English. He says, if we, where they say hallelujah, we would have to say, with zeal, I boast about my God, who is active and present. Like, it's a chunky word, right? So... Don't just let it pass by. Don't just say hallelujah, you know, and it's this word in this other language. But whenever we say that, we are saying with zeal, I boast about my God who is active and present. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys say that with me this morning? Just say with zeal, I boast about my God who is both active and present. Amen. That's so good, church. That's so good. I'm so glad we get to worship together wherever we're at this morning. Uh, turn around and wave at each other, right? Let's maintain social distancing wherever you're at. Wave, say hello to each other. So blessed that we get to worship. And uh, if, once you're done with that, let's all have a seat and then you can turn your attention over to the screens. We've got announcements. Thank you so much. All right, good morning, church. So good to see you this morning. Um, my name is Nick, and this is Trey. And so right now, we're going to go ahead and get ready for the tithes and offerings. So let's prepare for that. Well, Father, we trust in you. 
faithfully god we trust that you are going to do what you want to do so god would you take this little bit that we have to give god and would you grow that and nurture it into something for your benefit god and so father in our hearts would we just be trusting you knowing that you provide god that you're providing yeah. god that you are here and yeah. moving and watching out mm-hmm. for us so god would you take this nurture it and allow it to grow for your benefit in jesus name Amen. Amen. Well, Sisterhood in the House, on October 18th, we have a worship night for you here at the church, 7 p.m. Last week, Matina shared just what women's events do for her. And so if you haven't seen that, go back to last week's service. Watch that clip. You do not want to miss it. Be here October 18th. Also coming up on October 25th, we have an mm-hmm. official send-off celebration yeah. for the Zimmermans. So if you guys want to go ahead and go to that, we need you to RSVP because mm-hmm. it is limited capacity. Yeah. And you can do that either online or through our app. Yep. Well, right now we're going to continue in our new series, Jonah and the God of Mercy. Pastor Omar is back and he's ready to preach the lights out. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Well, hey, welcome to Grace Church. If you're watching us online, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. If you're here in person, I'm so glad to see your eyes. I'm so glad to see your eyes. I see some familiar ones. I see some new ones, but it's just good to be together. Isn't it great to start off our week together, whether it's online or whether it's in person, but I just, it just should lift our souls to be together. And what a wonderful time of worship. Did you sense that? Did you sense God calling us and drawing us? to his throne room, and, and it's in that throne room the Bible says that we could receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Isn't that awesome that we always have that available to us as believers, is that we can always worship. You know you don't have to worship just in the service, but you should be worshiping throughout the week. I just love that that gift is given to us. Well, again, we are in a series on the book of Jonah. We're diving into the book of Jonah. We're taking the next couple of weeks and we're going chapter by chapter and we're studying it out. And and I want to tell you something. I want to ask you something. When you think of the story of Jonah, when you think about this story, what do you automatically think of? Say it out loud. Come on, let me hear you. Type it in the chat. The well, right? The well, the fish. And let me tell you something. It's not about the fish. Come on, turn to somebody and say, it is not about the fish. Yeah. It's hard though, right? Because the fish is like, seems like the star of the story, but it's not. In fact, the fish is only referred to in two verses of the entire book. Oftentimes, that's as far as we get. That, a lot of us heard this story as kids, and so we kind of play it out in our minds in this cartoon version of the story. But I want to tell you, there's so much more in this story out of the book of Jonah. I believe that the main point, the, the thing that we see reoccur throughout the first chapter all the way to the end is that there is one message, and the message is this, is that God is the God of mercy. God is the God of mercy, and that's what this whole book highlights, and that's what I feel God is leading us into in this season right now, that we need to understand the mercy of God, the mercy of God. You know, last week, Pastor Paul did a phenomenal job leading us through. Yeah, come on, we can give him some props. I mean, it's, it's awesome when, when we receive something good from a pastor and preacher, it's good to encourage them because they've taken time to toil through Scripture and, and they presented us something good and he did something good. He, he got us through chapter 1 and there's a lot to unpack. I mean, that's, that's, that's really like the, 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 the start of what everybody knows about this book, right? And so he, he 
really masterfully took us through uh, that first chapter. We realized that, that it was really about the, having the right heart of obedience. Having the right heart of obedience. Well, today, this morning, we're going to dive into chapter 2. Chapter 2. And let me tell you, let me already, if you haven't looked at chapter 2, because like I said, a lot of us don't even go beyond chapter 1. But chapter 2 is, is a very short chapter. In fact, it's only 10 verses. And in that entire 10-verse chapter, is is a prayer. All it is is a prayer. It's Jonah's prayer while he's in the belly of the beast. Now, usually, as I'm reading through, and I've been guilty of doing this myself, when I read the story and read through the book of Jonah, uh, this is often the part that I just skim through. This is the part that I just kind of get over because I'm an action guy. I just want to get to the next part. I want to find out what happens after he's in the belly of the fish. I don't always like to sit in the in-between. But let me tell you, as I read through Scripture, as I've gone through life, I realize that God does his best work in the in-between. You know what I'm talking about when I say in-between, right? In between our dilemma and God's deliverance. I think that's where God does his best work. I think that's where faith grows. And what we see, in fact, when I look at this chapter, I realize that this is the best part of the whole story. Why? Because this is the part where we see a transformation happen in the heart of Jonah. And I think that we need to take time to slow down in the story and listen to this prayer from this man who had such a callous and hard heart towards God, towards his calling, towards his people. And yet God starts to do something in that callous heart. He starts to turn it into a heart, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. But it was through prayer. It was through his prayer. So as we go into this chapter, as we dive into it, let's, let's pray. Let's get our hearts ready. Because I believe God wants to impact our lives and our faith through this prayer. Father, we thank you that we get to gather we thank you that you're already speaking. But Lord, I pray that you just take away any distractions right now, Lord. Take away any type of this, I don't know, just things that we've had to learn in the past that maybe not, is not correct about this book and this story, Lord. I pray help us to unlearn that and relearn what you want us to have for right now, for today. And have more clarity in your scripture and your holy word. We pray, Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. You know, something that we have to know about this book, which I think is important as we study it, is that this book is actually written in the literary style of satire. In other words, it means that there uses humor and it uses irony and exaggeration to highlight its main points. And because of that, there are some, uh, some, some theologians, some very conservative orthodox theologians that I admire and, and read a lot of their, their stuff, but, but there's some of them that they, because of that style of writing, they tend to look at and view this book as a, as a fable or a parable. And, and I want to present to you a couple of reasons why I don't think that it's a fable or a parable. I, I, I think that it is, is, is a historical event. And I just want to unpack that a little bit. I want to show you that in the very first uh, verse of the very first chapter, it gives us a clue here that Jonah was a historical figure. I mean, go back to chapter 1, verse 1. And it gives us an insight on this man's lineage. In other words, who his daddy was. And in the Jewish culture, that was really important because who your family was meant what tribe you were from and what region you lived. And so this was a real man because it says this. It says, verse 1, chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Not Amittai, but Amittai. <laughs> All right? Just got to clarify that. 
like I said, this is important to the Jewish people. All of the prophets' writings, every time they wrote a book and, and gave a prophecy, they always started this way. So it was very uh, uh, common for them to start off this way. Another sign, another proof that, that he was a historical figure is that Jonah himself is mentioned in another passage of uh, another book. It's called the book of 2 Kings, which we look to as a historical book. And it's in that, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. This is for your notes, okay? This is a little bonus material here. It says that he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. Listen to this. In accordance to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoken to who? Through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet of Gath Hefther. So we see here that this prophet is referred to as someone that they knew. His contemporaries were the prophet Isaiah and Micah and Amos. So, so we see that there was an actual prophet named Jonah. A third sign, and was an important one for me, is from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 12, not only does Jesus recognize him as a legitimate prophet, not only does he refer to this book as the word of God, but Jesus actually takes the story of him being in the belly of a fish and, and, and says that it is a historical event. He refers to it as a historical fact. This is what he says. He didn't say it was a fable. He didn't say it was a parable. In Matthew 12, 40, he says this, For as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, later in this series, I'm going to bring some parallels between the prophet Jonah and Jesus. However, I just wanted to clarify this issue because I've heard many people, uh, you know, struggle with this. And they're like, I don't know how to view this. And I just wanted, to, as your pastor, to show you where I stand and where I kind of get my stance as I'm teaching through a book of the Bible. But like I said, there are some theologians that, that are very orthodox and conservative in their views of the scriptures. And, um, and, and they tend to, to, to kind of view it as a different, like a, like a fable or parable. And I'm not, I, this is where I stand, okay? And I think you can get a lot out of a parable, can't you? I mean, we got a lot of it out of Jesus' parables. So I'm not going to sit there and push. I'm just going to show you where I come from, where I, why I stand on what I do. Now, sometimes what's hard for these theologians to really grasp is that they couldn't understand this. They can't understand this as a historical event because their minds just can't wrap their brains around a man surviving inside a fish for three whole days. I know, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds super far-fetched. Like, I get it. Like, that's hard. The Bible's full of really weird things, and this is one of those. But we also believe in a virgin birth. We also believe in the resurrection. And so, that, so I just believe that God can do anything. And if God wants a guy to survive in the, in, the, in the stomach of a fish for three days, I think God could do that, especially to make a point. So that's just where I stand on that. So that's enough of that. Back to the story. We see that there's this guy, this prophet, this man of God named Jonah. And he's called to go out to the city, the grand city of Nineveh, to preach a message of judgment against it. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of this nation of Assyria. And if you know some of the history here, you know that Assyria was one of Israel's greatest enemies. If you know more about these Assyrian uh, people and this empire that was a world power at the time, you know that their religious practices, they were described as an abomination to the Lord. If you don't know what that means, look up in Scripture. 
Okay, I don't have time to tell you, but, but it, was, it, was, it was some nasty stuff. It was some horrible practices that they would do in the, in the name of their religion. In addition, these were very ruthless and violent people. They, um, they would do these things. They would have these horrific methods of how they would destroy, humiliate, and conquer those that opposed them. You know, I want to give you a little bit more understanding of why these people were feared among the nations and why the people of Israel despised them. If you have any kids in the room, if you got any kids online, I want you to distract them, close their ears a bit, because I just feel like i got to tell you something about what the practices were so that you understand a little bit more of the context here. It's a little graphic, though. It's a little gory. Okay, hopefully that gives you enough time. I'm going to get emails about this, I know. But these Assyrians, they, one of the things that they would do is that they were known, and you can see this through some of the, some of the even the secular historians say that, that one of the things that they would practice is that they would actually skin people alive. Skin people alive. One of the things that they would do is that they would also, if they had an enemy or if they wanted to uh, um, uh, conquer a people, they would take their leaders and they would, they would decapitate them. And out of just their ruthlessness, they would make one of the family members of the deceased carry the head of their family member on a stick. And they would have them march through the city of Nineveh while the rest of the town would ridicule them and hurl insults upon them. Guys, as I was doing research, this is not even the worst things that they did. So you can imagine this evilness and this culture that was, that was happening on earth. And God was looking down and God was trying to send some message to them. Because he was not pleased at what he was seeing. And here is this prophet that's getting called to go to these people. Imagine God commanding you to go to the heart of these people's country and to stand before them and proclaim a message of judgment upon them. How many guys would want to sign up for that mission trip? <laughs> now the Bible tells us that Jonah refused to go to Nineveh. And so he decides to leave his home and go as far as he can in the opposite direction. It's interesting to me that in his disobedience, he could not be around God's people. I think that's a telltale sign of somebody who's rocking, rocking with a rebellious heart, is that they, they're uncomfortable around God's people. I don't know. That's just what I see. So Jonah flees in the opposite direction. He flees towards a city called Tarshish. It's modern-day Spain. That was as far west as you can go in the known world. Now, at first glance, as we look at this story, we think that, that his motivation was solely on the fact that he didn't want to be around those violent, ruthless people who were his enemies. You would think that he was fearing for his life, but if we take a deeper look, which we will in chapter 4, we'll see that there's something more in his heart than just trying to preserve his life. We discover that Jonah didn't want to see the lives of all the people that populate Nineveh. He didn't want to see their lives be preserved. He, wanted the, he didn't want them to have a warning of judgment. He just wanted them to be destroyed by judgment. Can you imagine despising and hating a person or a group of people so much that you would never want to see God's grace and mercy extended to them? You would never want to see that person's life turn around, no matter how bad they are, no matter, but you're not wanting to see their lives be turned around. Imagine that you have somebody that you hate and despise so much that you would never want to see that person or that group of people be saved. That there's a little bit of you 
that has a little bit of satisfaction knowing that this person could be lost forever. Can you imagine? I think if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we can. Maybe we've held that on to people. Maybe we never say it out loud. (laughs) But our hearts, in our hearts, we know. Let me tell you, God knows. God knows. And I think it's easy to imagine someone having this type of attitude towards people if they're not a Christian, right? Because before any of us have received the grace and the forgiveness of God, right, we lived in this world system that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? That made a lot of sense to us before we understood the grace of God. But we know how that ruling goes. It just provides more suffering and more pain. But as Christians, we ought to be people of grace. As Christians, we ought to know this. We ought to understand that grace is getting what we don't deserve. And as Christians, we deserve the penalty of our sins, didn't we? As Christians, we understood the weight of our sin and what it has done and what it has caused in our lives. And we are only saved today. Why? By the mercies of God upon our lives. See, grace is not receiving what you do deserve. It's getting what you don't deserve. The truth of the matter is that we are all capable of extending this type of grace and this type of forgiveness towards people. Why? Because we have received it when we didn't deserve it. So I got to ask you this morning, the very first question for you this morning is this, is that is your heart, when you look at a certain group of people or a certain person in your life that, that I know is, is, is maybe wrong and maybe, maybe have done some evil things and maybe have done, like, but are you crying out in your heart telling God to judge them or are you crying out in your heart and saying, God, have mercy upon them? Because that is the spirit of Christ. And I believe that that's what God is trying to do in the heart of this prophet named Jonah. And if we see in the story, we see that God is, is chasing. He's trying to change this prophet's heart. He's not just trying to get him to do something, but he's trying to change and transform this man's life. In other words, God has called him, but yet he cannot see past his own selfish desire to see punishment on this nation. How can God take this amazing message of forgiveness and mercy to these people? They don't deserve it. That's what he's thinking. And before Jonah can stand there and deliver this message, he had to be broken. He had to learn something about the mercy of God. Through his shipwreck, through his time in the great fish, Jonah's heart had to begin to be transformed. Jonah was convinced in that moment, in a powerful way, that salvation can can only come from the Lord. And if salvation can only come from the Lord, then he's the one that can choose where his salvation goes and whose mercy is extended to, not us. That's the lesson he learned in the belly of the fish. Look at the last chapter here, how it ends in chapter 1, verse 17. It says this, it says, now the Lord provided, that's a, it's, it's, it's an important detail to say, the Lord provided the fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. You know, the story could have ended in chapter 1 with him drowning in the ocean. And that would have been it. Would have been justified, Right? But God's act of mercy was that he sent a fish to swallow him up. (laughs) I know it doesn't sound like it, but it really was. This is actually the second act of mercy. The first act of mercy was that God was still chasing him even when he denied God. See, God could have sent somebody else, but God chose to chase after him. 
God continued to chase after him and pursue him because he wanted his heart. So if you're taking notes, take down this first thought here, is that God's mercy never gives up on us. God's provision and his grace came in the form of a fish in Jonah's darkest moment. God chased him to his lowest point. While he was running from God, God showed him that he was with him and that he stuck close to him and that he was waiting patiently for him. It reminds me of what the psalmist says in, one, in Psalms 139, verse 7, when he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. There's another translation that says, When I make my bed in hell, you are there. It says, if I rise with wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the seas, even when your hand, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day and your darkness is as light to you. Where can I go from your presence? God is there in our highs and our lows. See, we cannot escape the presence of God, which means that we can never outrun the mercy of God. And he's finding that out in the belly of the beast. In his darkest moment of his life, he has this revelation. He has this revelation that I cannot escape the calling of God and I can't escape the mercy of God. I think there might be some of us today that feel like we are, are uh, that our days are, are done, that we've messed up too much, that God can't use us, that, that the calling that he put in my life years ago, that it can't happen today. I want to tell you, you can never escape the calling of God, and you can never ex- escape the mercy of God. It's there for you. And he's understanding this moment. And he's probably thinking to himself, how did I survive this? How am I still alive in this? Have you ever had a moment in your life when you look back and you say, how did I survive that? How did I get through that? Whether it was physically, emotionally, spiritually, but you're just like, I shouldn't have made it. I shouldn't be alive today. Do you know that the only reason why you have breath in your lungs today is because of the mercy of God? And I imagine that's what he's going through right now. He's just like, man, I shouldn't even be alive right now. But because I am, I know that I'm receiving God's mercy. I mean, imagine for the moment what it would have been like for him in the moment where he was being thrown into the ocean. I mean, I mean, we moved past that moment so, so fast. But think about it. Here he is bracing himself for death. He's probably thinking, I never thought this was how it was going to end. He's getting thrown into the water. I'm sure that his eyes were stinging from the salt water. I'm sure his muscles are tense from trying to keep himself up in the cold, freezing water. And as he thinks things can't get any worse, he sees this big fish coming towards him, opening his mouth, and there he goes. He's like, wow, I didn't think it would go this bad, but here we go. Let's brace, embrace the horror. And yet, he thinks it's over. And he wakes up in the belly of the fish. I can't imagine what it would have been like for that, him in that moment, let alone after day two, right? And day three. You know, we never talk about how miserable it must have been for him to be living in a fish for three days. That sounds horrible. Sounds like a place where I was like, I would rather die than to go through that. Have you ever felt that way in a season of your life where you're just like, man, I'm just so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of going through this thing. When is God, when is this going to let up? When am I ever going to get through this thing? And, and you just feel like, man, I just, I just want to escape. I just want to release. I just, I can't do it anymore. I want to tap out. Has anybody ever felt that way before? And you can identify with this. He's stuck in the suffering. He's stuck in the suffering. Have you ever been stuck in the suffering? That's what's happening. That's what's going on. 
He's overwhelmed. And you would expect that in this moment, while he's stuck in the suffering, you would think that Jonah would have had a bad attitude. You would have, had, you would have think that Jonah would have, would have just cursed God and died. You would have think that in this moment, he would have said, this is not fair. Uh, why is this happening to me? Why don't I just, just let go and die right now? But God's keeping him alive. You'd think he would be bitter. But we see that that's not his attitude at all. I mean, we would be that way. Because when we're in that situation, you think that nobody cares and nobody sees. You start to think God doesn't care and God doesn't see. But he does something that we don't expect him to do. In that moment, it changes everything. What does he do? He prays. He takes a hold of his suffering. And what he does is that he speaks truth to his anguish and he presents it before God. When we're going through times where we're stuck in the suffering, we need to do the same. We need to take that and we need to present it to God in prayer. That's the only way that things are going to turn around. So let's look at what he prays. This is from inside the fish. Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, in my distress, I call on the Lord, and he answered me. Can you believe that this guy has some faith? That even though he's in the belly of the beast, when everything's going wrong in his life, when he's stuck in, this, in the struggle and in the suffering, he says, when I call, when I pray, God still answers me. What faith. He says, in my distress, I call on the Lord. He answers me. From the depth of the realm of the dead, I call for help, and you listen to my cry. Jonah was experiencing God's presence in the most unlikely of places. At his lowest point, he knew that God was there. Jonah was stuck, but in this moment, he chose to not let the place where he was stuck determine his position with God. You hear what I'm saying right now? Whatever circumstances you're in, don't look at it as this is how God feels about me. Look at that God is still with me, that I stand with him in high places. See, sometimes, friends, we look at our life circumstances and we use those as indicators to tell us how God feels towards us. And what Jonah teaches us is that our circumstance has nothing to do with God's commitment to us. If we want to know where we stand with God, if we want to know how God feels about us, we can only turn to one place and one place only. And that is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So God's mercy is extended to him. The fact that he would not leave him. Even in his rebellion, even in his stubbornness, the Lord stuck with him. The Lord stayed faithful. It reminds me of why the Apostle Paul told young Timothy, he said this. He said, this is a faithful saying, 2 Timothy 2.13. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So let's go back to the prayer here. He says, you hurled me into the depths, to the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I looked again towards your holy temple. In other words, he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, I don't deserve your best, but I just long to be close to you. See, it's in this very moment that we see a transformation in Jonah's heart from a heart of rebellion to a heart of repentance. I want to tell you, repentance always starts with a heart of humility. And that's what we start seeing break forth in the middle of this crazy situation, being in the belly of a fish. So the engulfing waters threaten me, the deep surround me, seaweed has wrapped around my head. It's interesting because what he's describing here is that his physical reality was also his spiritual reality. Have you ever been in that much suffering and anguish in your life where it was like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane where he was bleeding sweats or drops of blood? where that physical and spiritual reality are, are coming together. 
He says, the roots of the mountain I sink down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. I think that some of us can really relate to these feelings and these emotions and these words. I mean, yes, there's a lot of symbolism here. And if you really do some history on the Jewish culture, you know that when they talk about waters and storms, it was mystery, it was chaos, it was darkness. And I think maybe some of us, maybe you're online today, and you might just sense in your heart that you look at these words and you feel the pain and you know what it's like and you feel stuck in the suffering. And you're just like, how am I going to get through? And what we're going to see here is that there's a turn that happens when we come to the Lord with it and we come with a heart of humility and a heart of repentance. And what we do is that there's a change, there's a declaration that happens. Listen to how Jonah proclaims and declares something that he doesn't see physically yet, but he believes that it's the truth. He says this, he says, but you, I may feel this way, God. I may be experiencing all these things, but you, come on, somebody say, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Do you remember the time where God took your life and brought it out of the pit and gave you new life? He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Come on, God did not save you to just leave you now. God did not just save you so that you could just fall away on your own. No, he has promised that he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the God that is faithful to his promises. And he says that I will get you through. That should make us more excited, right? Even though we feel stuck, even though we feel like the suffering has gone on too long, the fact that you still got breath in your lungs only tells us one more thing. What is that? God's not done. God's not done. Your time is not over. And our God loves you so much that he will be with you through it all, through the ups and through the downs. And remember that God is extending everything to you. And part of that is his amazing grace and his mercy and his power to save. Because his mercy, it's because of his mercy that you're surviving and you're not sinking. Come on, somebody needs to understand that today. It is by, even though it looks dark, even though it's hard right now, it is by his mercy that you're surviving and not sinking. This is good stuff. <laughs> it's speaking to my soul today. God provides mercy. And God's mercy will show up in places that you're in right now. We don't always see it that way. We're not always aware of it. We expect it to come a different way. But do you know that God's mercy showed up in Jonah's life by bringing him a fish, a giant fish to swallow him up in the middle of the sea? But it was in that way that God changed his heart. Being stuck in the belly of the fish could have made him bitter. But instead, he clinged on to God's mercy, and he experienced God's mercy in the belly of the fish, and it made him better. How? Because it changed his heart. Friends, let me tell you something. This whole season of COVID-19, it's not going to last forever. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's going to be a day where we're all going to be talking. Maybe it's a couple years from now, uh, and we're going to be like, remember when? It's going to have that tagline, remember when? We're going to look back on it. And there's some hard stuff happening to us. There's hard stuff happening in our world. And when we say that, I want us to understand, do you want to remember this season of life and say, yeah, that was a time that made me bitter or that was a time that made me better? If you want to make it make you better, then you got to allow God to change your heart through it. And his mercy will get us there. 
Perhaps God is using this season to change our hearts. Maybe God is using this moment. God is using this experience of hardship or maybe times where we just feel disappointed or we're waiting and we're stuck in this. I mean, whatever you're at, maybe God is using that moment to open up our hearts in a deeper way. And it all starts with repentance, right? That's what you see. And we see his heart open up in repentance because I believe that repentance teaches us the depths of God's mercy. Let's close out with this as we close out this um, chapter here. God is so good. God is so good. We don't deserve this, guys. Just remember that. He's so good. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, listen to this, which shouts a grateful praise. He's in the belly of the fish. He doesn't see a way out. But he says, I will shout for praise. I know some of your guys' stories. And I see you worship. And I just, it, it breaks me. I get more faith seeing that. This man is saying, I will sacrifice to you. He says, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. See, let me tell you something about repentance. Repentance is turning from something and turning to something. A lot of times when we start feeling re- uh, 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 leaning towards repentance, it, it, it's more remorse if we don't do anything about it. God's not after us to just feel bad, but he's actually trying to get us to change direction. That's what repentance really means. It's changing direction. Repenting is making a decision to make a change. And that's what we see in the prayer of Jonah. Now what's crazy is that he doesn't even finish this prayer with an amen before something starts to happen. There's a rumbling happening in the belly of this beast, right? And he just, he, he knows something's going to happen. In verse 10, the last verse here, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out into dry land. Come on, that's the comedy in this story, right? Can you imagine having this super powerful spiritual moment, and all of a sudden you're regurgitated into uh, a place that you've never been before? <laughs> wow. Couldn't God have made it more easier? No, he didn't. You know, historians believe that Nineveh was actually hundreds of miles from where the fish dropped him off. That means he had a long journey ahead of him. And I just want to tell somebody today that, that um, what that means is that there was a lot of little steps of obedience that he had to take. And that's usually the true heart of a repentive heart. And that's really how a repentive heart responds. It changes direction, but it keeps making small decisions towards the right things. And this is what God's mercy does for us. It gives us the courage to do the right things because we know that if God was with us in our worst, then he will be with us through it all. And that's what God wants to do. That's what his mercy will expand in our lives for, is to give us that grace, to give us that, that, that reprieve, give us that hope, give us that peace. That's what God wants for you today. That's what God wants for us today in this season. Now, next week, we're going to pick up where we left off. And we're going to see God do some really crazy cool things as he starts to continue to transform hearts. And we see Jonah actually arrive in the city of Nineveh. We're going to see what happens there. There's a lot of cool stuff. 
But this morning, I want to close as we sit on this, that we reflect on this prayer that we just read, the prayer that we just heard, the prayer that, that we look. And maybe this week, I mean, this is only like 48 verses or something like that in this entire book. I just recommend maybe you read through it this week. But as we just pause for a moment and we sit in the in-between, remember, in between our dilemma and God's deliverance, in between the hope and the promise fulfilled, is there anybody here, anybody watching that might feel like your life is kind of in the in-between? And today, through the life and the story of Jonah, you're feeling some hope rise up. You're feeling, you're feeling like your faith is getting stronger. Let me tell you, that's the word of God. That's God's word promising you that he's got you, that he's with you. Even in the midst of a place that you feel buried in, stuck in, God's there. God wants to help you through it. He's made you an overcomer. Come on, this is not for the weak. He's made us strong. So if you're here stand with us, will you stand to your feet? I want you to take a moment to reflect. And I want to ask you a couple of questions, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to close out. I hope this remains our heart and our posture this week. But here's something I want you to reflect on. So if you could close your eyes, if you're watching from home, take a moment to leave all the distractions behind and focus in, narrow in to this moment. In light of God's mercy through the prayer of Jonah, ask yourself this question. Is there something that I'm running from? Is there something that I'm running from? God's asked, God's called. He's so patient. He's going to continue to chase. Oh, I think there's somebody's heart that's beating really fast right now. Is there something that you're running from? And what you do is you just respond. God takes all the steps, and all you got to take is one step, and you just got to turn around. And you just got to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I need, I need you. And the Bible tells us that he will respond. He will flood in your heart right now. And if that's you, maybe it's the first time you've ever done that before. He's here. He's with you. He's giving you this message to change you. So respond. Go ahead. Another group of people I want to ask you is what areas in your life right now do you feel stuck in? Do you feel stuck in? Maybe you're stuck in the suffering part. Maybe you're stuck in the, I don't know what's going to happen, God. I'm fearful. Wherever you're stuck, will you cry out to God like Jonah did? It might come out in, 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 in a unique way. It might come through in a unique way. You don't know, but just call out to God. And then the last group, I'm going to ask you to ask a question is, am I robbing myself from God's mercy? Because it has to happen my way. It's got to happen the way I think, the way I think it should happen. And yet, you might be asking for a boat and God's sending you a fish. And you're struggling with that. I want to tell you, you have the mercy of God. The mercy of God is on you. It says that it is fresh and new every morning. And yet you might be overlooking it. You might be despising it. You might be saying, no, this isn't the way God's grace works. Who are you to say how God's grace works? If he wants to get to your heart, not just give you a cushy life. Right? So whatever that is, whatever that looks like, can you take a moment to just respond? And if things are going really well for you, praise God. Give him the glory. Give him the honor. Tell somebody. There are some heavy hearts in this room, so I'm going to pray for you. Father, I lift up my friends, whether they're online or whether they're here in this room, God, that do have a heavy heart, God. 
they do feel like this prayer resonates with them on where they're at. The waves are crashing. They don't know if they can hold on too much longer, Lord. We show them that they serve a God who cares, a God who loves, a God who's active, a God who's pursuing, a God who can provide, a God who has mercy for them in their time of need. Show them their position with Christ right now, that they are in high places and they can enter your throne right now and ask for what they need and you will provide. God, I pray for them right now. Settle their hearts, give them vision, give them peace. Give them the assurance that you're next to them. God, I pray for those right now, God, that are just struggling, God, with saying yes to you. Show them that you're never going to take them somewhere, God, that your grace is not there to keep them, that your grace is not there to fulfill them and to use them, even though it's scary, even though it might be something we resist at the time, God. But, Lord, I pray that there be a freedom this morning for someone to say, yes, I will go. Yes, send me. Yes, I will do for your glory and for your honor, and I trust you. So, Lord, I just thank you for these people. Help us. Help us, help us, help us. And it's by your mercy that we go and we receive that help, Lord. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. Well, God's good. Let's give him one more praise clap. Shout to God. He's so good, right? He's so good. If you're online, we love you. Stay connected to us. We're excited about what God is doing in our, in our new season here at Grace Church. So plug in. God bless you. See you next week.